0: following message is from christian life austin for more information about christian life please visit clcaustin.com thank you for listening when the man arrived in florida he emailed his wife to let her know he had arrived but accidentally sent the email to the wrong address instead of going to his wife it went to a woman whose husband had just passed away when the grieving widow opened the mail she screamed and fainted and her son rushed in the room and found this message displayed on her computer screen. It said simply, my darling wife, I just checked in. Everything is prepared for your arrival tomorrow. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Your loving husband. P.S. sure is hot down here. I hope nobody in this crowd ever sends an email like that. That it it's hot here. We want to go where it's pleasant. Amen. Amen. Second Peter said, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses witnesses of His majesty, for He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have a prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Say amen to the word. I read something not long ago in my research. A Hungarian writer once wrote an amusing but also thoughtful dialogue which he imagined between two babies that were in the mother's womb. Obviously, they were twins. And one twin asked another, Do you believe in life after delivery? The other replied, Why, of course I do. There has to be something after delivery. Maybe we are here to prepare ourselves for what will be later. Nonsense, said the first twin. There is no life after delivery. What kind of life would that be anyway? And the second twin said, I don't know, but there will be more light than here. Maybe we'll walk with our legs and eat with our mouths. Maybe we'll have other senses that we can't understand now. The first twin said, that's absurd. Walking is impossible and eating with our mouths, that's ridiculous. The umbilical cord supplies nutrition and everything we need. Life after delivery is to be logically excluded. And the second insisted, well, I think there is something and maybe it's different than it is here. Maybe we won't need this physical cord anymore. And the first replied, that's crazy. If there is life, then why has no one ever come back from there? (laughs) Delivery is the end of life. And in the after delivery, there is nothing but darkness and silence and oblivion. It takes us nowhere. Well, I don't know, said the second, but certainly we will meet mother and she will take care of us. Mother replied, The first, you actually believe in mother, that's laughable. If mother exists, then where is she now? And the second said, She's all around us, we're surrounded by her, we are of her, it is her and in her that we live. And without her, this world would not and could not exist. I like that twin, he's going to preach, the other's going to be an atheist. <laughs> first, the first one said, Well, I don't see her. It's only logical that she doesn't exist. To which the second replied, Sometimes when you're in silence and you focus and you really listen, you can perceive her presence and you can hear her loving voice calling down from above. Today, we will dedicate a bunch of children. We dedicated six in the first service. There's about 22 to be dedicated all day long. Children that will prove, parents, that there is life after delivery. (laughs) there really is, and that they do get their legs, and they do get their own will, and they do get their own mouths, and they know how to talk and know how to walk. But this story is an interesting approach to the discussion of the life of faith. Is there a God? Is there life beyond this world? How can we know? And who can we trust to give us the answers? First of all, no one sat down and thought up our faith. Not the works of philosophers and our holy seers, but ministers and prophets and teachers and housewives and fishermen and just common folks who witnessed events that could not under- they couldn't understand but cherished in their hearts. And secondly, the Christian faith is not reason, it is revelation. God revealed himself through encounters with ordinary people like Moses and David and Ruth and Daniel and Mary the mother of Jesus and John Baptist and Paul and many others. They were imperfect vessels of God's truth. It's like unseeing people describing an elephant. Their testimony is different, but how does one describe the indescribable? Because there's nobody like him. If God could be expressed in a formula, a test tube or a tried expression, then he could not be God. But he is indescribable. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's God. And he created man in Genesis. And he gave that man a soul. And what God breathed into him will never die. Come on, say amen to that. That soul is eternal. And after, not delivery, but death, it will live somewhere forever. And I speak not today as a cunningly devised fable would be spoken. I speak truth today. There is life after life after death. There is another world. Alexander Pope once wrote satirically, lo, the poor Indian whose untutored mind sees God in clouds and hears him in the wind. In essence, he said the sophisticated and the secular people no longer see God in clouds or hear him in the wind. What they cannot explain, they simply call allegory. And God has become an abstract concept for some and not concrete for many instead of a present reality. Intellectually, most people believe in God, but his existence does not seem to have much relevance to their everyday life. Can somebody say amen to that? One man said it best. He said, "He said we sit with feet propped on a desk and a pipe in our mouth and discuss theories of atonement instead of bowing down before the wounds of Jesus Christ. Can I stop and say this? It's just a, it's just a, just a statement I made. It's awesome, folks, to stand on holy ground. It is awesome. Anybody ever stood on holy ground? Put your feet down right now. Just kind of pat the floor of where you are right now. We're standing on holy ground right now. The presence of the Lord is in this house. It was here waiting on you when you came because God fills all time and all space and everywhere. And he said, if you'll exalt my name, I will be in the midst of the people that exalt my name. You're in holy ground right now. Clap your hands and rejoice to that because it's real for us all today. I want to tell you how real it is. One, One night, one night, a man walked in the door. He looked like he was about half lit. He looked like he was about half out of it. Maybe a little drug overdose, maybe a little alcohol too much. I don't know. But he sat right here on the first row. And before service was over that night, the presence of God, the music got a hold of him and the word got a hold of him and he stood to his feet and he lifted his hands and he didn't know anything about it. He was a, he was a manager for, a, for a, a, rock, a rock band that played all over America and the Lord came into his life. He fell to his knees. He gave his heart to the Lord. We had water in the baptistry. We baptized him. He came back, wet as water and he said, man, this is better than anything I've ever felt in my life. He said, I've been to rock concerts, I've been to blues concerts, I've never felt this. He said, wow, he just started stomping, this is a holy place. Yes, it is, my son, it's a holy place, because where God dwells among his people is a holy place. Clap your hands and rejoice to that. Then he said, then he said, do you have a cot? I said, a cot? He said, yeah, I want a cot. I said, what for? He said, I want to spend the night here. I want to spend the night here. I said, "Why?" He said, "Because I have never felt out there what I felt in here." This sanctuary is a sacred place to most of us, because we meet God here. We could all pitch our tents here. We could stay here some of us all week long. In fact, some are thinking right now, I might as well I spend a lot of time here already. And I thank you for that. I really, really do. There's nothing like the presence of God. And wherever God's presence is, is where I want to be. Can you, can you say amen to that? There's a story of Albert Einstein and his assistant was on a train one day and it was a long trip and Einstein thought of a game, a game of questions that they could play. And Einstein said, okay, assistant, I'm going to ask you a question. If you can't answer it, you owe me $50. The assistant said, sir, I can't compete with your mind. You know that I will be broke in no time. And Einstein said, that's the theory. Of relativity, (laughs) to which Einstein said, "Okay, if he said he said, okay, if you ask me a question and I can't answer, I'll give you five hundred dollars." And the assistant said, "Okay, that's great." So Einstein's first question was very simple: "How many miles is it to the moon?" And the assistant did not know the answer, and he reached in his pocket and pulled out fifty dollars. Then the assistant turned, came, and he goes up. And he goes up to Mr. Einstein. He said, Mr. Einstein, here's what I want to talk to you about. What goes up the mountain with three legs and comes down with four legs? And Einstein thought for 30 solid minutes, he didn't want to give up that $500. (laughs) He's supposed to know everything. And he said, you know what? I just don't know. And he gave the assistant $500. And then for the next question that Einstein was asked, he said, sir, I need to know something. What was the answer? And the assistant said, I don't know either. And he gave him 50 bucks and said, the game's over. I'm $400 ahead. <laughs> he out <Einstein'd> Einstein. Einstein. <laughs> There's a lot of questions, a lot of fuzzy answers about the hereafter. There's a set of planets that have been spotted now 40 light years away. I'm not trying to make anything out of it. I just think that God is just saying, how you like me now? Oh, we had another big bang several, several million light years away, and I'm just now bringing that bang into this bang. No, no, no. God is saying, how you like me now? I can do this all over again. Amen. Seven's God's perfect number. Maybe there, there might be a little life there. Maybe that might be where people go when they pass from this life. It may be somewhere that God has for them out yonder somewhere. Because we've always viewed heaven as out yonder. We've always viewed hell as down here. And in the ground. But here what I want to declare to you right now. I want to tell you something. Hebrews thirteen says, obey those who have who have rule over you. That means have, have godly authority. That don't mean that they rule and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. Everybody say, They watch for my souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So, today I want to answer a frequently asked question. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to be as plain and as as pure as I can be with everybody. Pastor, where does a soul go after death? That's a question that's given to me a lot. See, some religions teach that it just goes to sleep and wakes up on resurrection day. Some believe it goes to purgatory and waits some kind of penance to get out for the wrong it did on earth. And some continue to connect it with the spirit and so the two become inseparable. But I will declare to you that the spirit, when you die, goes to the God that gave it because that's your life. And the body goes to the ground from which it came because that's where you were from. But the soul is the only one that has to make the choice that conscience in you, that, that, that emotion in you, that decision-making part of you. You must choose to serve the Lord. See, there's two trees in the garden, folks. One, the tree of life, and the other, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and why did God put that tree in there, Pastor? Because he wanted love from you to be a choice. He didn't want to make it pure for you. He wanted you to choose him. And I, I want to clap for everybody today that have chosen Jesus Christ in their life because it is a choice. I know he came and found us and he went to a cross to die and save us. But we have to say, Lord, I receive you in my life and I take you into my heart. So I want to give you two stories today, two brief illustrations. I give them to you today. The first is at Calvary when Jesus is hanging on a cross and he hung there for a space of about six hours. And there was darkness from The 6th hour to the ninth hour from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. And then the sun shone again. And There were two thieves on either side of him that were hanging there with him. And one reviled him and railed on him. And the other looked across and said, you don't know what you're speaking about. You don't know, you don't really, you don't understand this man has done nothing. We What we've done, we deserve what we get. But he's done nothing. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. How, How can it be that somebody as vile as a man that's getting killed for the sins that he committed can look to a Savior and gasping with his last breath can say, would you please? Do me a favor. Would you remember me when you come to your kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and he says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. You're not gonna go to sleep for 20 years. You're not gonna go to purgatory and have to beg your way out today because you have made a decision. You're gonna be with me in paradise today. Aren't you glad? that there's somebody that I can preach about that can take your darkness and make it bright, can take your trials and make it joy, can take your sin and make it happiness, can take your debt and pay, the, pay it in full. Aren't you glad that there's somebody that I preach about every Sunday that can bring you a peace that passes all understanding? Aren't you glad about that? Hallelujah. 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 Saved souls go to paradise. People who let God govern their lives go to paradise. People who let God direct their steps go to paradise. People who let the Lord order their path go to paradise. I affectionately call paradise the Hilton next door to the four square city of God, the New Jerusalem. Revelation 6 and 9, Revelation 20 and 4, the revelator saw souls in heaven. There are souls there. The first were martyrs, the second were those who reigned with Christ. Hear me. When people accept the Lord in their life and say you're number one and I'm number two and you matter and I'm going to follow you, when you pass, your soul will be in paradise. Is that, a, is that a great thing or what? Come on, is that a great thing or what? The second story is about a rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. The rich man was sumptuous and he had a lot of wealth and a lot of, a lot of purple and he, he dined wonderfully. And there was a beggar at his gate named Lazarus who was full of sores and the dogs licked his wounds every day. And he begged for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. God's not against richness. He's not against you having money. He's against money having you. Do I need to say that again? Amen. The rich young ruler came to him and he said, give it all away and come and follow me. And it meant so much to him he could not do that and he went away sorrowful. The man who built barns said, I'm going to build bigger barns because my barns are not big enough. And the word said, this night your soul will be required of you. Let me tell you something. When you put this that I'm preaching against money, against fame, against anything in this world, it all shrinks in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. I want everybody I pastor to be a millionaire. Everybody, I want you all to be a millionaire. I really do. But I want you to understand that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. (laughs) Come on, nobody like Jesus, nobody like him. And the Bible said, Lazarus died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Now, the reason it was Abraham's bosom, because Abraham was the father of faith. So he was carried to his bosom to rest in a resting place. But the Bible said, the rich man also died and in hell, in hell, not the lake of fire, but in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment. he said, Father Abraham, would you you grant me a favor? He said, would you allow Lazarus to come and just dip his finger in some water and cool my tongue? Because I'm tormented down here. I hate to preach this way. It's going to be very brief, but I hate to preach this way. There's no reason for you not to accept Jesus in your life. There's no reason for you not to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Why risk it? Why say I'm going to do this on my own? Alex Haley once said, if you ever see a turtle on the fence post, he didn't get there by himself. (laughs) Everything you have belongs to God anyhow. Everything you are belongs to him. You couldn't breathe another breath if it wasn't for him. Don't get me to preaching now. Don't get me to preaching now. I feel the Holy Spirit in my life right now. And I'm telling you, God has everything in your life. He's worth everything that you are. Why don't you make a decision in your world this week and say, I will follow Jesus Christ. I'm not going there. I'm going there. Amen. Amen. Lost souls are in torment. They're in torment. Ezekiel 18 and 4, Ezekiel 18 20 said, The soul that sinneth shall die. God told Adam in Genesis chapter 2, He said, The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll surely die. But they didn't die. Here's the point. They didn't die. They just were excluded from the Garden of Eden. The die there is not a physical death. It, It means becoming separated from God. Let me say something to everybody in this house. Very briefly, then I'm going to move on to something more happy. Let me say something. You know why you get along good even in a world that's troubled? is because there's a God factor still alive in this world. But death to us would be separation from that God factor. And that's what hell is going to be. It's going to be a separation place from the God factor. You think that life is tough now with the God factor? You try to make it in hell without the God factor. That's what you call a death. You're going to die. You're going to die. He put them out of the Garden of Eden. To die in this instance simply means to be out of relationship and out of fellowship with the God that created our soul to worship Him. And to give Him praise and to give Him glory. In fact, the Bible said in Revelation 20 and 14 that death and hell. Death is those that are separated from God. And hell, those where their souls are like the rich man. We're cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and that's the final punishment. And I got to quit that because I want you all to be saved. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pastor, I want you saved. Pastor, I want you living for God. When I was a kid, we we're going to dedicate a bunch of kids here in just a moment, a bunch of children. How many of y'all have children to dedicate? Would you raise your hand at me right now? You have children to dedicate. Raise your hand all over the house. We're going to skip this class and get, the, get them in the last class. How many's got children? Nobody. There's some. Okay. Good. 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 If I had a child to dedicate, I'd be saying, "I do." <laughs> I, I remember when Mom and Dad used to get on me when I was a kid. They would, uh, they'd get on me like this. Mama would bring a house, a house shoe, or a, a spoon, <laughs> or something, you know. And it never bothered me. Now I cried but it never bothered me. If I couldn't take a woman's whipping, how could I ever be an athlete? You know what I'm saying? Go ahead. Martyr me, martyr me, martyr me. And she did. She had literally, nearly martyred me. And uh, But then when dad got there, I'm going to tell you, Daddy, because I can tell my whipping didn't, didn't matter. And when Daddy got home, all he had to do was just get that belt and just put it across his hand. I say, Daddy, I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> how you doing, Dad? How was your day? Everything good? Can I cook you something, Dad? Can I, can I change? Can I wash your truck? What, what do you need? I mowed the yard today, Daddy. But Dad knew how to get me. Mom and Dad's parenting skills were not the greatest, okay? They weren't the greatest. They didn't have a Ph.D. in parenting. If it was, it just piled it higher and deeper. Whatever you know, just. They didn't have a PhD, but anyhow, my dad. Here, here's what. Here's how my dad knew he could get me. You ready for this, boys? We're going to town today. It's grocery shopping day, and I'm going to take you boys to Woolsworth, and we're going to get you some toys today. Rex, you're not going. <laughs> I don't know how long we'll be gone, son. It'll be a while, but you're not going, son. Have fun. Enjoy the house. You're not going, Dad, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't do good 10 years ago, Daddy, and I forgive, forgive me for that sin 10 years ago. Forgive me. I'm so sorry, Daddy. I did call Eddie a bad word, and it wasn't good, Dad. It wasn't good. He didn't hear me. He just thought he heard me, but I did call him a real bad name. Daddy, I'm sorry. I did rebel against Mama. I'm so sorry. But Daddy, whatever I've done, forgive me of all my sins. Don't let me leave. Don't, don't leave without me. I want to go to Wool's <laughs> I want to go to the store, Daddy, because that's where I get my ice cream. I want something. I got it. Daddy could always get me with that separation syndrome. And the thing that has kept my life wanting God in my life is I don't want him to go home and take people home. And Paul said, after I preach to others, I myself become a castaway. Yes, sir. I believe in a relationship with God and I believe he eternally loves us and he'll never turn his back on us. But I don't want to walk away from his presence. I don't want to say, I don't need you in my life anymore. Get out of my life. I don't want that to happen to me. And today, today, I want to preach to somebody and tell you that I'll never use the whip on this church. I'll always be a kind pastor. Next Sunday is a special Sunday for us. I'm going to preach a special message next Sunday. It's called Dream Again. And uh, I probably won't get halfway through it because I, I feel a dream coming in my spirit. I'm going to show you stuff on video. I'm going to show you things that we're going to do, things and dreams that we have. It's just going to be absolutely mind-bending. It's going to be mind altering. You're going to leave here with goosebumps next week. And you know what? I want to be a part of that. Also next week is our 27th pastoral anniversary here. I kind of think that's cool. But here's what I, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to say in closing. I want to say it in closing. Please, please make your mind up. Choose you this day whom you'll serve For saved souls go to paradise and lost souls go to Sheol, to Gehenna. Please make up your mind today. There's nothing worth giving Jesus up for. It's an important decision to make. So I close, I close today. Pete's talking about in his his epistle, he's talking about when we saw him on that holy mount, He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And when he and John and James were invited by Jesus to go there, you got to get this, folks. You got to get this. This is powerful. You got to get this. They went to the top of that mountain. And there was Jesus there, and his garments became glistering. In other words, he showed them that he was God in flesh. That's why Peter could say in Capernaum, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But also appeared Moses and Elijah. Now hear me. Moses was the meekest man on earth. The most humble man. And Elijah was one of the most powerful, power prophets that ever walked. And they appeared with Jesus. And they talked to him, the Bible said, concerning his death. They really did. And some people, ministers say that's an allegory. It it didn't really happen. Let me tell you something. It's the first witness to me that no matter if, you're, if you die and you're buried in Mount Nebo or you never saw death and you were, you were translated to the other world, when Jesus gets ready and calls your name, you're going to come to him on that holy mount somewhere. Hallelujah. So if you're resting in the ground or you're over yonder, it doesn't matter. When Jesus calls, we're all going to go to be with him. I promise you, I promise you, I don't want to be separated from what God has for me in this end time. I want to go home with Jesus when he calls my name. And I want my soul to rest in the presence of God for the rest of my days.